I'm Theo. And I'm Juliet. And this is Apologies Accepted. We offer an entertaining look at some of the big issues in history by examining public apologies of the famous and infamous. We're looking at politicians, serial killers, actors, and you. Send us a public apology you would like to make, and we'll read it on the air and give you a chance to redeem yourself or just get some guilt off your shoulders. We're here for you. Once a week, maybe more if you're really, really sorry. The, the podcast. podcast. And I'm not Theo. And I'm not Juliet. Oh, I hear your voice cracking a little yeah, bit. Yeah, it's not working for me. <laughs> Hopefully it's not any sickness and just being, um, just waking up from your nap, which I know you told me you'd <laughs> done. <laughs> oh yeah, I took a nap for two hours. and <laughs> <laughs> That was me, everybody. I lay down for a few minutes and woke up two hours later. So, um, probably getting fired from my job today. Um, but, uh, oh, hey, what's shaking, Bacon? A whole bunch of nothing, which oh, is, yeah, I mean, it is and it's not. My sister's moving back from North Carolina and she's going to be Yay. staying with us for a week. So that's going to be cool um, nice. if she gets here next week. So fine. But honestly, other than that, like, I well, I told you all about the Miracle, the bamboo steamer that I bought. Um, yes, yes, it sounds amazing. I have to get one now. Everybody has to I have I totally one. love soup dumplings, so I need to eat 50 soup dumplings in one sitting. It is it is the most amazing thing I have ever owned. How did even more amazing than my smoke box for alcohol <laughs> is the bamboo steamer. Thank you. Oh, that yes. is awesome. It and is, it probably cost you like a dollar fifty or something. It was twenty five whole dollars. Really? But, yeah, but I mean, you know, it's a it's all right because it will last sure. forever. Of course. And you'll use it probably Every, well, <laughs> <laughs> I've used it once. I'm going to um, use it again tonight, and then um, then I'll never use it again. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but um, but you'll have those occasions. So that'll be like a, I don't know, $13 uh, item since you've used it twice. Right, which I would spend per use, like on a cheap. glass of wine in a restaurant. So this really yeah. is going to pay for itself very yeah, shortly. Absolutely. Right. If, if not, you know, return its investment to you. Oh, so. I did go out to a restaurant on Friday night. Um, you did? Where'd you yeah, go? What'd you eat? Something absolutely wild because we almost never go out to restaurants. And I would say even more now, it's not so much like, oh, because of COVID. It's just we've gotten into the habit of not going out. Right. Right. Um, and then when we do go out, I'm like, wow, stuff is expensive now. God, it is, isn't it? It's stupid expensive i don't know if it was this expensive before covid but it doesn't seem like it it doesn't seem like it at all and i'm not somebody who spends money for the sake of spending money so i would not be oh, going I... out to yeah of course <laughs> <laughs> it's an exercise for you um, as it is for me too but i only spend my money on useless things <laughs> according not to even james true. bell i mean that smoke box is absolutely the most useful thing well, it is. It has been used twice, but not since. So anyway, um, we went to this place that's called Dip, Dip, Dip Tatsuya. And okay. it's um, it's part of a chain. It, the chain, they mostly do like ramen. But this place does a bunch of um, like shabu shabu or uh-huh. uh, sukiyaki. So you 
cook at your table, but yeah. it's all soup based. There's no open flame. And um, it was great. It was so fun and cool and interesting. And the people were seated right next to me. And I mean, elbows touching. That weird. Yeah. yeah. So who knows? Maybe I do have COVID. Did you go out with friends or was it just the two of you? Or it was what? just the two of us. So okay. even more so unusual, the two, the two of us never go out to eat really, yeah. right? But it was just that thing of like, hi. I really haven't done anything yeah. as evidenced by this discussion. I have done <laughs> absolutely fucking nothing. Um, so, I mean, yeah, stupid yard work, bought a weed whacker, killed sure, a bunch of weeds, cool. right? They're growing back already. I will have to go yeah, out and of course. kill them again, but fine. Um, and that's it. I mean, blah. What about you? What's shaking? Uh, we went to Monterey this past weekend, so that was fun. Um, we took the dog and drove down on Friday afternoon after work and uh, stayed in this little sort of a hotel-motel type of thing. It's really expensive to stay in a hotel in Monterey. So it was like $300 a night for this basically a motel, um, almost $300 a night. Yeah, it was expensive. But it was really close to the water. I mean, it wasn't right on the water, but it was walking distance to the water and a beautiful area, just gorgeous. And, and uh, we uh, went on a 17-mile drive, which is, of course, you know about the, the drive through Pacific Grove. I know, right? I've been saying all my life, I'm not going down the 17-mile drive. That's a waste of fucking money. But I finally broke down and said, I'm going. We're going to do it. I'm going to die one day, and I might as well die having dro- driven the 17-mile drive. Wow. Uh, so I'm going to say, I don't even know what the 17 mile drive is. You're going to have to fill me in. But oh. when you said 17 mile, my brain immediately went to hike. And oh, so when on. you said drive, I was like, oh. <laughs> There's no way I'm hiking 17 miles. Are you There's kidding nobody me? Nobody would hike 17 miles, but okay. Crazy people. So what is the 17 mile drive? It's in Pebble pebble beach it's in carmel and it, it goes through the pebble beach golf course which is that famous golf course that that has whatever that the bugs beach bunny golf was always or, going to was he i don't that's know is that pismo beach no that's pismo beach oh, okay <laughs> <laughs> different place entirely um but it's it's full of these these huge houses that were really annoying my husband um during our trip because he kept he kept reminding him of Elon Musk, which annoyed him, and he would be like getting angry, and he'd be like, oh, "I keep thinking about Elon Musk." <laughs> I don't even know if Elon Musk has a house in Pebble Beach, but anyway, it was absolutely gorgeous. The first part of the drive is um, along the coast, and it's just these beautiful rocks and you know ocean the pacific ocean type of scenery so it was just gorgeous but it was cold it was sunny and it, it seemed like it would be warm so we went out to take a take a walk along the water but or along the beach but it was fucking freezing so we didn't get very far at all uh, before we turned around and went back but but it was it was a beautiful day um the next day was really foggy so i'm glad that we had that saturday that was that was sunny and and um if not warm at least looked warm and I took a couple of pictures of Brent and the dog, and it was uh, it was really very pleasant. So, and then we went back to the um, to the hotel room and spent like the rest of the day there. So that was uh, you know it was what it was. It was kind of relaxing. I mean, you know, we didn't really do anything exciting. We ordered food in because we didn't want to. We couldn't go to the restaurants with the dog anyway. So, and we and then there's always COVID, but so we just had some seafood or whatever and pizza. <laughs> 
so that was it. It was fun. Um, I don't feel like I ever need to do the 17 mile drive again, though. It was it was very pretty, but there's equally beautiful scenery elsewhere um, in Monterey and Carmel and and uh, Pacific Grove. So you don't need to spend eleven dollars to drive 17 miles through a golf course. Through a golf course, mostly through a golf course. Through several golf courses. I have, but I, and golf courses really drive me crazy. They make me so mad. I think same. people should abolish golf courses, and there should be no such thing. No matter how beautiful it is, it should, they should be torn down completely, and everyone should be able to go and walk on the land that the golf course is. So it should be like a park or something. Golf instead. is the dumbest game. I'm sorry. Golf's the worst. It's, it's the worst. I and Mara, right? Awful. Yeah. Just and bad. golf courses are awful, and country clubs yeah. are awful, and all those yeah. things are awful. Um, yeah. oh, James told me that he has to join Soho House for work. What's uh, Soho House? It's a private members-only club that you pay a fee so that uh-huh. you can walk in, right? You pay an annual fee, and then you have to buy everything. Like, I don't understand what the benefit of the membership is other than, uh-huh. oh, we belong to this place and then we could go in there and they have like restaurant and a bar or whatever and fine. And so, hi, I've been to Soho house, but as a <laughs> guest of people, because I'm smart and I don't yeah. spend my money on places that I should say anymore. <laughs> my Soho house Probably friend listens not. to our show. So you're going to be, you're going to be hanging out with Soho house people now. No, I'll never be invited back after that. Uh, well, little doesn't, ramble. doesn't James have to join? I, you know, maybe I, I'm going to say you have to for your job. No, you don't. I think you're looking for a convenient excuse, right? Which this yeah. was the conversation that we had. Um, yeah. Yeah. Which I'm now airing publicly. I'm a miser. <laughs> I'm a miser. A miser? Yes. Well, I you're a miser. I am a miser. I don't oh, I see. see the point in spending, it's like $2,500 for the year just to join. Oh, well, that's not bad. I was thinking like $10,000 or something. Oh, no, 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 no. Please look at, okay. look at my face when I'm saying 2500 <laughs> to belong to a members only club. <laughs> 10000 so $10, is not a question. My yeah. face would be four times. Notice how I did that math? Yeah. Four yeah. times is, is shocked. <laughs> what? Never. That's the price Yikes. of a car. Is it? No. Sure. No. No, you can't buy a car for that much money now. I bet. Maybe. More like 40000 They were really... Oh, this is <laughs> taking us down the road of everything's getting more expensive. And then we'll know, be at right? the road of well, life is you know, over. To order delivery food, it's like $60, $70 every time. Yeah, right. But it's Do a fucking $20 when... charge. Right, right. And you used to be able to get Chinese food for like 25 bucks. You get a shitload of food. And now it's like, you know, it's $70 and half of that is a fee. Well, so there's this great restaurant slash uh, fast food place here called So TSO. And Uh they don't charge a delivery fee because they pay their drivers a living wage. And so their big thing is like no tipping. Of course, I mean, you know, you can't tip through the app. Um, uh-huh. Or when you call, but you can, you know, you can hand you know, them cash. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they're and they're reasonable, but anymore, I am Uber Eats, 
I am DoorDash. I will just yeah. get in the car and drive because look, it's an adventure. I'm outside in the car. <laughs> Anything could happen. I could hit a child. I could drive over a pile of gold. Maybe That's I, where my mind goes. Hitting the child. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then I go to Panda Express, and then you know, there you go. And pick up the food. Yeah. yeah. So wow, well, a lot of commercials for Asian restaurants and bamboo yeah. steamers. And we didn't even mention H Mart yet. So um, <laughs> you got your bamboo steamers, not at H Mart, but I was thinking of going to H Mart because we had one that opened this year. I think it was this year in San Francisco, and I'm just I've been so excited about going that I haven't that I haven't done it. <laughs> <laughs> it's the anticipation of going, but yeah. I mean, you all right? So you live in San Francisco. Yeah. H Mart, yes, it's going to be cool, fine. It'll be clean. It'll be nice. It'll be upscale grocery store. Awesome, right. right? They'll have lots of fun products from all around the world, being mostly Asia. Um, yeah. But don't you have Chinatown? I could go to the Korean market. I mean, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, I've done that. I haven't been to oh. Smart. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> all right. So I'm just excited about the possibilities of what HBAR. I have this imagine, imaginary HBAR in my head, and I hope it lives up to it. They have $10,000 cool. cars. Oh, my God. That's perfect. Yes. I'm sure they will sell out now that we've made that announcement. Oh, but, yeah, right. I'm excited. So so that's it for me, uh, which I guess was more than I expected it would end up being. Um, so this week, what have we got, Theo? Tell us what we've got this week. Well, this week we are talking about an incident that happened... Was it last week? I think it was like May 11th. It was May May 10th. May so 10th. Something like that. Yeah. And so we're talking about Lufthansa and their, and their apology for restraining. Is that not the right word to use? Um, preventing. Preventing. There we go. Um, 100 to maybe 150 people yeah. from getting onto a connecting flight. Unfortunately, the 100 to 150 people we're all Jewish. Right. Right. Exactly. So uh, Lufthansa Airlines did eventually apologize, which is why we're talking about them, um, on May 10th. So the, actually, the event was on May 4th. That was my bad. So about a, a hundred, 150 Jewish passengers were denied boarding on a connecting flight in Frankfurt earlier this month, May 4th, because according to the airline, a limited number of them did not follow mask rules and other crew instructions. Um, passengers told CNN that they flew from JFK on Lufthansa to Frankfurt, Germany, because they wanted to connect to a flight to Budapest. Um, they were going to Hungary for a pilgrimage to honor uh, Grand Rabbi Yeshaya Steiner of Kerestir, Hungary, who died in 1925. Every year, an event is held at his grave on the anniversary of his death. Uh, one passenger said, we go to the grave, we light candles, and we say prayers. It is a very holy and emotional thing for us. Now, interestingly, the passengers who were forbidden to board the flight to Hungary were um, wearing the outfit, the outfit, the garb of Orthodox Jews, or had Jewish-sounding names, according to multiple counts and a video posted on social media. Passengers told CNN that they were not traveling as a group, and even though they weren't traveling as a group, they were treated as a group by Lufthansa. One of the passengers, Yitzi Halpern of New York, told Germany's Bild TV on uh, Monday the... I think, that they were met by about 25 armed police officers at the airport. It was a terrible, terrible experience, he said, adding that it was his first time in Germany. Lufthansa didn't leave a good impression among those American Jews who had just traveled several thousands of miles. 
And to make things worse, or to add insult to injury, uh, the people that were forbidden to get on the 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 plane in Frankfurt to Hungary said that they then had uh, they faced a 24-hour ban from flying on Lufthansa, and so they had to figure out how to get to Hungary either on other airlines or other ways. And Yitzi Halpern said that he tried to board the flight, uh, but he and a number of other passengers who were recognizable as Jewish, who were not associated with his group, were told that they would not be allowed to board. In a video of the incident, Halpern is heard saying, I'm not with the group. I understand that the pilot made a decision, and we don't question the pilot's decision, but apparently we're banned from other Lufthansa flights. Is this a Lufthansa decision that all Jewish people who are on that flight can't go on any other flight today? He then asked to speak to upper management and continued to question the decision. I was wearing a mask the whole time. Why am I lumped in with them? He asked the employee. Everybody has to pay for a couple, the employee said a few seconds later. When Halpert asked for clarification of what everybody needs, the employee responded, because it's Jewish coming from JFK. Right. And you know how the Germans are about punishing everybody for (sighs) any one single infraction of any rule. All rules (sighs) must be followed. And if one person breaks them, well, the whole fucking planet's going to shut down. Except for the people that were allowed on the plane who were not Jewish. Exactly. Exactly. And some people who were Jewish said that they were physically prevented from going to the customer service desk. Yeah. And they were surrounded by the police as well. One guy got on the plane because he he went online and um, made a reservation. He got on a plane because he went online and made a reservation, but he was late. And I think he missed the event. Um, And uh, Yitzi Schmidt, who was traveling with Yitzi Halpern, told CNN that he did not witness any wrongdoing on the part of the passengers. Schmidt said there were a few times people ate and forgot to put their masks back on, or a passenger was told to adjust their mask, but everyone he witnessed complied with what the flight attendant said. Uh, An airline spokesperson, Tom Muscal, told CNN in a statement, the reasoning for the decision was based upon various instances of non-compliance by numerous guests with mask requirements and crew safety instructions on the previous flight, uh, Lufthansa 401, from New York to Frankfurt. Lufthansa regrets the circumstances surrounding the decision to exclude the affected passengers from the flight, for which Lufthansa sincerely apologizes. What transpired is not consistent with Lufthansa's policies or values. We have zero tolerance for racism, anti-Semitism, and discrimination of any type. While Lufthansa is still reviewing the facts and circumstances of that day, we regret that the large group was denied boarding rather than limiting it to the non-compliant guests. And he said he was not aware of any disciplinary actions. Just like, okay. Lufthansa CEO Karsten Spohr told employees that what happened was not acceptable. Anti-Semitism has no place at Lufthansa, Spohr said. The procedure last Wednesday should not have happened like this and must now be fully clarified. We are in detailed analysis for days on how this could have happened, he told the rabbi that he spoke with uh, in Berlin on a video call. This is nowhere in line with our rules of communication and rules of behavior. uh, Already this makes me so angry, right? Because it's like, oh, we were spending days investigating. Who made the fucking decision? Right. Right, right, because I right. promise you they have a copy of Mein Kampf on their bookshelf. Whoever made that decision, somebody made that decision. Yeah, I I don't know who it would have been. Maybe somebody at the gate, but somebody did it, and it was it was a bad idea. Um, and, well, maybe it was someone on the plane, because if they were met by 25 armed guards when they landed in Frankfurt, the decision had already been made, I basically. Mean, Jesus. And no one noticed any real problems on the, on the flight, according to... Um, uh, what's his name? Yitzi. So uh, I forget what Yitzi was, but 
so I don't know what the issue was. Uh, I'm, I'm confused. Uh, and go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say, I mean, if this was a real thing, right? If like yeah. not wearing your mask yeah. is a real issue that prevents you from getting onto your your connecting flight, then on the plane, they should have made an announcement or a steward or stewardess should have gone up to the problematic person not wearing the mask and said, if you don't put your mask on, you will be detained and you will not be allowed to board on your next flight. Right. Period. Yeah. How hard is that? Right. Exactly. It's not hard. Yeah. This is why everybody needs to call us all the time before they do anything. Because we have the answers. Right. <laughs> so Max Weingarten told CNN that he and his business fart partner <laughs> flew in first class from JFK to Frankfurt with no issue and were allowed onto the next flight. His business partner was stopped when boarding, but was eventually allowed on board after discussion with the airline staff. And I think Max Weingarten was wearing a baseball cap and like probably jeans or something. And his business partner had a yarmulke, but he was still not dressed. Well, Max said, we don't dress like ultra-Orthodox. We look like regular civilians. The selection of Jews versus non-Jews or the selection between Jews is horrifying. It was some type of unacceptable selection that was done. I felt completely uncomfortable. And he said that the flight from Frankfurt to Budapest had about 20 people on it. And he and his business partner were the only Jewish passengers. He said people in economy seating were asked to move to the back of the flight to balance out the weight of the nearly empty plane. And that they were all told they could have as many kosher meals as they wanted because oh there were extras God. available on the flight. Oh, yeah, yippee! Hooray! Know, You're so right? giving, Lufthansa. We discriminated against the Jews, so let's eat their food. <laughs> it won't be the first time in history, I mean... No, certainly not, but that's it's appalling. It really is. Um, so what have you got for us? I know you have some stuff on anti-Semitism. Yes, and so when you originally pitched this and I looked at the article, the article opened up with a story that happened like in 2017 where some guy got beat up in United Airlines. And because I'm not the most thorough person, I thought that was the story until yesterday when uh-huh. i was like oh i better find out like what we're doing and then i was like oh we're doing that story uh-huh, you oh it. yes and so on one level it's great that i didn't have two or three days to prep because i would be dragging <laughs> you down so many ancient alleys right <laughs> um but so i had pretty much two hours to look at the history of judaism and yeah, uh, huh? anti-Semitism. So, oh boy, let's go. Put on your clogs. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So, a, a couple of things that struck me um, as I was pulling ideas for research, right? And one was the word anti-Semitism, and somebody had pointed out to a, to Lufthansa just kind of. A, a reporter in general saying yeah. that uh, that Lufthansa had abbreviated the word anti-Semitism, so there was anti-comma-Semitism, but that's no Dash. longer the word. You're right, sorry. Not comma. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. I have a degree in English, too. I paid a lot of money to get. Yes. So um, it is It is a dash, a hyphen. Yeah, hyphen. A hyphen, yes. So, and you know, we could request that uh, our magical editor edit that to make me sound smarter, but let's leave it in so that okay. everybody knows exactly who they're getting information from. It's me. <laughs> Hi, everyone. So, um, 
So with the hyphen, anti-Semitism, right, it sort of suggests that there's a pro-Semitism, right? Because you've, if you're going to be anti-something, then conversely, there, there's a pro-something. I don't understand why the hyphen denotes that, because, you know, if you're anti-Semitism, anti then there would be pro-Semitism, and that would be the case whether there was a hyphen or no hyphen, but I don't understand it, so. Well, so the, the writer's point was um, there is no pro-Semitism, Right. There, okay. There's no there, there just isn't. Um, and so it needs to be one word, anti-Semitism. Right. And I was like, OK, interesting point. I, I like it. Um, really love seeing hyphens disappear. So clearly because I'm calling them commas. So so I thought the this this point around words was useful and interesting. Um, historians didn't use the term. Uh, sorry, it's not historians didn't use the term. The term anti-Semitism wasn't used until the late 1800s. Um, so historians today use anti-Semitism for any sort of anti-Jewish um, actions, right? Uh, Post-1900 onwards. And then it's anti-Judaism pre we'll say pre-late 1800s, but we'll just say pre-1800s. Um, and we'll get into why, right? So there's there's this clear line that's drawn somewhere in the late 1800s between anti-Judaism and anti-Semitism. Um, so let's, let's dive into it. Um, Judaism was invented on a Wednesday. No, um, <laughs> Judaism... Uh, comes into history thanks to a gentleman from the Bible named Abram, which in Hebrew means exalted father, and that name was changed to Abraham, which was father of many nations. And his sons became the leaders of Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. Jews regard Abraham as the first patriarch of the Jewish people. Abraham was the first person to teach the idea that there was only one God, before then, people believed in many gods. Ironically, Abraham's father, Tarek, had made his living selling idols of various gods. I don't know if that was true, but I kept that in because I was thought... Was Abraham a real person, supposedly? I mean, as real as anybody in the Bible is. <laughs> so, um, no. <laughs> and okay. yes. Okay. <laughs> um, all right, cool. So, so then we have the Jewish people, and and they're all situated and settled in and around what is now com uh, commonly known as Israel, um, and they were occupied by Rome for years and years and years and years. And uh, in the year seventy seven zero, which was about thirty years after the crucifixion of Jesus, Rome destroyed the uh, the Holy Temple in Jerusalem. And the Jews were exiled and forced to leave, sorry, forced to leave, living as a minority in foreign lands. Um, about 400 years later, Christianity dominates Europe and, more importantly, the European halls of power. So as, as sort of Roman uh, government and Roman influence waned and disappeared, it was taken over by the Christian church. Jews were seen as people who were refusing to accept God and the murderers of God, and therefore state and church laws against Jews uh, were written 
preventing Jews from owning land, getting into politics, and even as to what type of employment a Jew could hold. So Jews were largely excluded from Christian society and forced into jobs like trade and commerce, which in a weird way becomes a benefit later on because it gives them access to physical cash in a time and an era when physical cash was important, but not everybody had cash on hand. So and I'm going to jump around a little bit. I mean, this will be linear, but we're going to move some things around. Um, so there were stories circulating throughout Europe that Jews could not be trusted, that they used the blood of Christian children in, um, in Jewish rituals, that they had horns, that they had tails. And, and people largely, did everyone believe this? Maybe not literally, but we will say that a fair number of people, and enough people believed it that it eventually becomes easy for governments to start pointing at Jewish people and exiling them. We'll, we'll move into this. Um, so in 1517, hi, we're in the 1500s again, look for your favorite witch. <laughs> Martin Luther, of course, broke with the Catholic Church and established the beginning of the Reformation. He kind of hoped that by doing this, the, the Jewish people would see like, oh, wow, okay, the church, which was really corrupt under the Catholics, is so clean and holy. He was really believed that Jews would convert to Christianity. That was preventing the conversion of Jews to uh, Christianity was the corruption of the Catholic Church. But now that's all done. I've cleaned it up for you guys. Come on in. The door's open. And it didn't happen. And so he then started to persecute the Jews. This is a quote. What then shall we Christians do with this rejected and condemned people, the Jews? Bear in mind that he was tolerant of them beforehand. Their synagogues should be set on fire, and what does not burn must be covered over with earth, so that no man will ever see stone or cinder of them again. Their houses should also be razed and destroyed. All their prayer books should be taken from them. Damn. Um, all right. Calm down, Martin. Uh, in the... 18th century, the Enlightenment comes, and and enlightened thinkers, the intellectuals of the day, sort of help loosen the stranglehold of power that the church held on government and on society as, as a whole, right? And some enlightened thinkers, some thinkers of the Enlightenment, called for the rights of Jews, give them civil rights, allow them to be teachers, allow them to marry Christians, allow them to, to partake in legal exercises um, in our courts of law. But Jews were only going to get all that if they discarded their religious practices. Other enlightened thinkers blame the Jews for being the source of a rational religious faith, right? Which is kind of the thinking of, wait a minute, Christianity came from Judaism. You guys are to blame for all of the crazy religious people running around. This is all your fault. So that was the 18th century and Enlightenment. So Martin Luther wasn't able to um, get things his way, and Enlightened thinkers weren't able to get things their way. 
the Jews continued to be Jewish and to practice their faith. Um, there's a famous incident in France, which takes place in 1894. It's called the Dreyfus Affair. Uh, Dreyfus was the only Jewish member of the French Army's general staff, and he was convicted for handing secrets over to Germany. He was innocent, and the documents uh, that had been used to condemn him had been forged, and the forgery was proven, but there was a cover-up to divert attention from military corruption. In the late 1800s, religious discrimination began to shift from a religion, from sort of a religious prosecution to race and genetics. Um, and to better explain that, we're going to have to go back way back in time to the early beginnings of the church. So all humans were born with original sin, right? And the only way to clear original sin is to be baptized. But since Jewish people weren't baptized, they bore the the stain of original sin. There's a confused idea about, well, it wasn't confused, it was medicine at the time, that, that your spirit created illnesses within the body, right? So Jews were seen as carrying the taint of original sin, refusing God, and it somehow that that taint that became understood as an infection, which then became understood as something that Christians could catch. So, yeah, um, and and that's kind of the case up until a, the dawn of Darwinism, right? And then the ideas start to shift a little bit, and it's not, oh, you know, Jews are, are Jews because they're refusing baptism and they have original sin on their bodies, but there's something genetic about what's happening here, right? And so in the later half of the 19th century, anti-Semitism begins to merge with branches, new branches of science that were inspired by Darwinism. Um, we call those branches pseudoscience, and studies uh, took centuries of anti-Jewish bigotry and used the science of the day to prove that Jews were not merely a religious group, but a separate race, or Semites, set apart by genetics. Uh, racial characteristics could not be overcome by conversion or assimilation. World War I led to hyperinflation and economic depression, and Jews in Germany were seen as scapegoats for Germany's misfortune. And then anti-Semitism begins to merge with the idea of, of eugenics in Germany, which, of course, gets us to the Holocaust, which I will skip over that. Um, so aside from the refusal to be baptized and carrying the taint of original sin, Christians also believe that um, Jesus was killed by the Jews. So at the time, and this will get a little bit dicey, but I, I think I have a way to undice it. Um, at the time of Jesus' death, Romans controlled and occupied Israel, and crucifixion was the death of choice by the Roman government for political criminals. But in the Bible, the letters of Paul, written about 40 to 50 current era, state that the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus 
uh, in one Thessalonians. Did I pronounce that close? Mm -hmm. Thank you. Mm -hmm. uh, so that statement starts things off. Uh, a later biblical writer, Matthew, um, who undoubtedly was familiar with the letters of Paul, um, describes the trial as presided over the trial of Jesus, presided over by Jewish high priests who scour the land looking for witnesses against Jesus. But the priests couldn't really find anybody that would step forward and blame Jesus, so they conclude that he's guilty of blasphemy, and they ask the council, Jewish council, what penalty um, should be given. And the council answers, he deserves death, and then spits in Jesus' face and strikes him. All four Gospels suggest that Jews were not allowed to punish other Jews who were guilty of blasphemy. They had to beg the reluctant Romans to kill Jesus. Pontius Pilate, who's the Roman governor of Judea, is described in the Bible as sympathetic to Jesus, but not able to withstand the pressure of these Jews that, hi, he's got a whole army that is occupying their territory, but, th but these priests are going to come and tell him what he needs to do, and then he's going to buckle and do it because they told him to, right? It's sort of the logic there. Um, but I mean, you know, that's in the Bible. And in the Bible, Pilate says, take him, meaning Jesus, and judge him by your own laws. And the Jews say, we are not permitted to put anyone to death. Um, in Matthew 27, 25, the assembled members of the Jewish community tell Pilate, his blood be on us and on our children. And this becomes a central line that leads Christian to believe that Jews are guilty of deicide, right? That these high priests have forced the Roman government sure. to execute this guy because the Jews don't like him, right? Not that the Romans had any reason not, right? Um, okay, so within that writing, bearing, bearing in mind that it was written 30 years after Jesus was crucified— and the Bible wasn't really codified until about the year 300-ish, Council Mycia. Um, really what this does is Rome puts Jesus to death, but Rome eventually becomes ruled by Christians. And so it's historical revisionism taking place in the Bible. The, mm. It's the Christians who now control Rome and control government and control everything by Easily by the year 300, I forget the guy's name who converted, um, and I should know that because it's a really famous uh, moment in history, but of course they're not going to say, yeah, the Romans killed him, right? You're going to have to blame somebody else. Now, the idea that the Jews were responsible for killing Jesus is also found in the Talmud, um, and the Talmud is a collection of writings that are reflections upon the Old Testament, right? And and many thousands of years old. Um, so in one version of a Talmud, which is known as the Babylonian Talmud, um, and in particular, Folio 43a, there's a written teaching from the year 200 CE. So this is 200, 170 years after the execution of Jesus, right? 150 years after the letters of Paul, so they, so the writer is aware of what Paul has said, right? He writes something that says that Jesus was put to death by a Jewish court for the crimes of sorcery and sedition. Now, 
this is a move that the writer is making, which takes the godhood away from Jesus and makes him merely a charlatan. Therefore, he is not a real God. And Mm. therefore, my readers, my Jewish readers, we are right to believe in Judaism because everything you're hearing about this Jesus guy, sure, he was put to death, but he was put to death because he was a scam artist, right? And you can't believe in a scam artist. So... Um, St. Augustine does a really nice little balancing act between these two points of view. He doesn't do it intentionally. It's just, you know, a lot of people had a lot of opinions. These were the ones that I found uh, that sort of met these, uh, these three points. And his balancing act is that Jews continue to be perpetually tormented because they were living testimony of what happens to people who reject Christianity. And this is a quote. The humiliation and degradation of Jews is precisely the evidence to their falsehood and our Christian truth. Right? So, all right. Um, then just a couple of quick moments that that I think are interesting and will help then tie all of this together, hopefully. If not, um, bye. Okay, so uh, looking at England, Jewish people had only been in England since the Norman Conquest, and they were invited to settle there by William the Conqueror. From about the 1000s onward, the Jewish community quickly became an essential part of the English economy. Jews were permitted to loan money at interest, something Christians were forbidding, forbidden to do. Um, Jewish settlements developed in towns such as London, Norwich, and Lincoln. So that's in the 10 hundreds. In 1144, so you can call it roughly 100 some odd years uh, after first being invited into England to settle, a 12-year-old boy is found dead in the town of Norwich, and the Jews are accused of his murder. The story went around that every year the Jewish nation had to sacrifice a Christian, crucify the Christian, and drain them of their blood. And for whatever reason, in 1144, the the worldwide Jewish community decided that the Jews in Norwich had to be the uh, group that was going to find a Christian and kill him. Um, Of course, that story gets out and they are massacred. Massacres occurred similar, um, all based on blood libel. Uh, So stories that, oh my gosh, this group of Jewish people killed somebody and used their blood to make Matzah, believe it or not, uh, wow. was the was the big thing. Uh, but so massacres occurred in 1144, 1168, 1181, 1183, 1189, and 1255. In 1255, it was a kid who fell into um, a well, disappeared, and a hundred Jews were killed before the child's body was found. Um, in 1290, so roughly. 45 years after uh, the last big massacre, the Jews were expelled from England. They were um, expelled for failing to pay taxes. And we're talking about a community of roughly 3,000 people um, and just forced to leave England. Um, these, these, I'm going to call them expulations, and that's not it. Oh, these exiles, right? These forced exiles were pretty common. 
Um, they happened in Spain and Italy, England, France. Um, looking at Spain in 1300, Jews were legally required to wear a red circle and a pointed hat to identify themselves as Jew, as Jews, right? But the clothing regulations didn't really take hold until the 1500s. Um, yeah, let's see. And so back to this point of original sin, it could only be cleaned off from baptism. And since Jews didn't get baptized, they were tainted with original sin. Um, these medical theories understood that illness was caused, but there was a cause and effect uh, relationship between the spirit and the body. And a lack of cleanliness of the spirit led to a diseased body. Um, because of that belief throughout Europe, but in particular Spain, um, Jews were not allowed to be wet nurses. Milk, hmm. human milk, is blood that has been transformed. And therefore, if a Christian child is suckled by a Jewish nurse, they will be ingesting original sin, therefore erasing the baptism that erased wow. the sin. Yeah, because it's medieval logic. It's science. It's medicine. Wow. Um, of course, then there's also this, the knowledge that Christians come from the Jewish religion, that Christians were, we'll say, past Jews, um, and this forms a basis of Christian identity. Uh, sure, my religion came from your religion, but my religion is better and true, and therefore I am better and true. Um, Christians are born in the same state of sin as Jews, and baptism purifies. Baptism impacts the blood. So, in the early era, pre-1800s, the idea was that a Jewish person could be baptized and cleansed of original sin, so therefore they are now Christian and everything's great. In the late 1800s, again, thanks to ideas around social Darwinism and hierarchy, the idea becomes oh, there's something inherent in the genetics of the Jewish people that make them a race, and therefore there is no baptism open to a Jewish person. A Jewish person will always be Jewish, right? Uh, and so that's the sort of the marking line that historians use when talking about anti-Semitism versus I, the horrors perpetuated upon the upon Jews throughout history, right? It was religious bias up until the late 1800s. Um, interestingly, Jews were expelled from England in the 1290s. In 1655, they were invited back because they had done a lot for Holland, in particular Amsterdam, and William the Conqueror thought, wow, you guys did a great job over in Amsterdam helping them get their port really active. Why don't you come uh -huh. over here to England and help us with our economy? And so they were invited in. Now, that didn't happen because it was an idea that William the Conqueror had. Um, there was an ambassador to the Gentiles uh, from Amsterdam and who was a Jewish rabbi, and he's the one that suggested to William the Conqueror, yeah, England might be really in need of our services, mm -hmm. right? Um, and so uh, the 
the periods in Spain I find super interesting uh, when Jews were exiled. Um, so back in the days when baptism would clean you and you could become a Christian, right? The Spanish were like, hey, you got to do this. And so some people did, right? Why not? It's just easier. Fine, whatever. But I'll still honor the Sabbath and I'll be a Christian publicly, but I will be Jewish privately. Um, and then some people just converted, right? So if you were converted, you were known as con um, conviso. Is that it? Yes, I was saying it all morning, and I was saying it perfectly. Uh, converso. Conversos. Close enough. Uh, <laughs> the converted. Convisos. Um, some of the con convisos did not really convert and would get found out. And this led to the formation of the Inquisition. Oh, no. The Inquisition was formed to find those conversos, convisos, whatever the word is that I was saying so perfectly two hours ago and now can't say, um, to find them and then force them to really convert or kill them, mm -hmm. right? Wow. Of course, then uh, it got bigger and went to other places. Mm -hmm. um, and let's see here. Okay, uh, and so... In 1492, can you tell me something that happened? Uh, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. Exactly. <laughs> Columbus sailed the ocean blue, and all the Jews got a screw? That's not going to work. But oh, no. Yes. So in 1492, Spain evicted or exiled all of the Jews. Um they were given time to leave. So it's not like it was just decreed and everybody had to leave the next day. There, there was a timeline. Um, I don't know what that timeline was, but it was a couple of months easily. Uh, however, when they left, they had to leave everything behind. They were not oh. allowed to take anything with them, which oh, no. is a heyday if your neighbor is Jewish and has to leave because you can buy their house, you can get their clothes, you can get their books. You can get all their kosher meals that are going to be served on an airline at some future time. Um, they, the Jews from Spain went to Italy and then Greece and Turkey. And there's kind of always this question of when a country, France or Italy or England, expels. I think Jews are the only people that have been expelled from those countries. I can't, I can't think of another group that has been. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know either. Um, but everybody kind of moves back east, right? Um, and then, I don't know, a couple hundred years later, you whatever circumstances are, you get to come back. Um, odd. Odd. Just just all very sad. odd. Yeah. Yeah. And, and still sad. So that's sort of like a real rough sketch of why is there anti-Semitism? It's not so much, yeah, it's competing religions or competing theologies and, and all of that sort of stuff, but but it's more than that. It's, it's, I don't even know what it is. It's like core fundamental beliefs, right? Which I guess is competing theologies, but 
I don't know. I think a theology is like, God has a blue couch. No, he doesn't. It's red. Um, and, and yeah, I really shouldn't even be talking about religion at all. So here we so are. Jews have gotten the short end of the stick from almost the very beginning, which is uh, sad and unfortunate. And I don't think things are getting a whole lot better. I mean, it's not as bad as it has been. Yeah, uh, yeah, I mean, you know. There's still a lot of anti-Semitism out there. Well, I mean, the track is that th this can easily, we, we could find ourselves in 1939 all over again. Yeah. Right? Where it's not women's rights that are under assault or things that can be done in the courts. It will be, here's what you have to do. We're going to make you do it. You have no choice in the matter because you are X and Eventually, yeah. it will be because you were Jewish. Yeah, probably. That's depressing. It's it's concerning, definitely. Yeah. Um, I'm glad people are are aware of it, and I'm and I don't even mean the story. I mean are aware that authoritarian governments tend to like to go after groups of people, and some of those people are. Pretty much often and always Jewish. Yeah. Probably atheist, too. Right. But so, I mean, that one next? feels like an easy dodge, though, right? Because like, oh, I'm real sorry. I was wrong. I see the light now. But then you'd have to go to church every Sunday. Um, I did it as a kid and found ways to <laughs> abuse myself. <laughs> yeah. Um. It's all, it's all very depressing. So uh, well, okay. So I have a question for you. Okay. When were you aware that there were people called Jews, and did it mean anything to you? Probably like studying the Bible as a kid when they talked about Jews in the Bible, but I don't remember them being particularly blamed for anything. Um, and it, no, it never meant anything to me. What about you? Um, so not through the Bible. Uh huh. Right. Um. And I'll say, we. so my mother was a nurse and we'd moved to Florida and I was probably about seven years old and she started working in hospital and um, told us a story about um, old people who had tattooed numbers on their oh. arms, right? And yeah. that um, a little bit about how they'd been forced to get these tattooed numbers and it was because they were Jewish. And that was sort of kind of it. Yeah. Right. Um, and I don't think I thought anything more about it, probably until history class when you start getting into the Holocaust. Right. Yeah. But, um, and I don't even know what grade that is. Post sixth grade. Probably. Yeah. Probably. Right. I think you're still doing coloring books when you're in the sixth grade. I don't know. Yeah. I don't remember. Um, but I'll say by that point, um, we had, I don't want to say we had a lot of Jewish friends because that just sounds like some of my best friends are people of color. But uh -huh. but I I do recall, I, I, I'll say that by the time I got to history class, it was very odd for me to think that, wow, this could be my godfather. That Ed... And then as I got older, more, uh, I'll say stories, but um, but people just shared more 
experiences about their grandparents and their parents. My uh, godfather had lost um, his mother, his sister, and his grandparents um, to the camps. His, oh, wow. Yeah, his dad emigrated with him to America. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, uh, just kind of it's awful. Uh, but anyway, um, meant to be more of a cheery story about... Oh! <laughs> Okay, I've got it. Ready? Okay. This is a comedy okay. show, right? Okay. Um, so I also wondered about the rabbi in Hungary that everybody is going to oh, visit, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Like, okay, what's up? Did you uh, read anything about him? No, I was going to, and I never did. Well, I did our homework for us. So uh, Grand Rabbi Yeshea Steiner is important because he the rabbi that did some miracles right oh um which is great and and i the the one big one i'm gonna end with i'm gonna start with what would be a very minor uh not even a miracle because my grandmother could have performed this trick but okay it's still cute as heck um Okay, so somebody's writing in about things that the uh, rabbi had done, right? Mm-hmm. And so uh, my grandmother was born in Toka. Um, she told me the story about her mother's illness, and I'm going to skip over a bunch of stuff, but someone's mother had pneumonia, and the eldest son went every day from his village to visit the rabbi and pray with the rabbi and ask for help from him. And every day the rabbi gave the son some liquid and he was told to uh, the liquid medicine and to give it to his mom. And this happened eight times. So when the son appeared on the ninth day, the rabbi said, today I don't give you anything. It is worthless. And when the son got home, the mother was dead. Hmm. The rabbi came to the funeral. That is the most Jewish story I have ever heard in my entire life. Right. Um, here, here are these things. Here's what happens. This is how we deal with it. Everything's practical. What are you going to do? Right? Wow. Um, maybe it's not the most Jewish story I've ever heard in my entire life, but it was up there. And then um, the famous mouse story. So his, the rabbi's image is used as a good luck amulet. Mm-hmm. And people will pray to him a lot like a saint um, for help with things good luck and getting rid of mice. And so the famous mouse story. Um, so this happened around the beginning of the 20th century. He, the rabbi was very pious and very humble. And he always referred to himself in the diminutive in Hebrew. Mm-hmm. He was known as a miraculous person. Um, and his greatest pleasure was to host a meal every Saturday for his friends and family and parishioners if that's the word to use. Sorry, I don't. Okay. Congregants. That feels like yeah. a better, safer word. Okay, so um, so one Saturday when the rabbi was eating a special meal, um, somebody came up to him with an urgent request and said that he had a warehouse that was filled with food and he made his living buying and selling food, but the mice had invaded and were eating all the food and he needed help getting rid of the mice. So... At the time, each small town in Europe was ruled by a local church pastor, 
And some of the pastors were kind towards the Jews and others were not. And so the rabbi asked the man, what type of town do you live in? Is the church pastor who controls your town nice or mean? And the warehouse owner said, oh, he's a mean, mean one. And so the rabbi said, go into your warehouse and tell the mice that the rabbi says to go to the estate of the pastor. <laughs> so the guy does this and instantly hundreds of mice race out of the warehouse headed towards the pastor's house. <laughs> um, and his business was saved. And ever since then, Jews who have been peg plagued with the problem have um, used the rabbi's picture to accomplish getting rid of mice from their homes. So uh -huh. super cute. Love That's those cute. European, Eastern European folk tales. Um, yeah. And there we are. But now we are left with the apology to rate. We've had. Yeah. So um, the apology itself, we can talk about that. Yeah. Um, Lufthansa released a statement on the 10th of May, which was, I don't know how many days ago, uh, 13 days ago. And uh, they said, Lufthansa regrets the circumstances surrounding the decision to exclude passengers from flight 1334 on Monday, on May 4th. Lufthansa sincerely apologizes. Please find our statement below. On May 4th, a large number of booked passengers were denied boarding on their onward flight with Lufthansa 1334 from Frankfurt to Budapest. Lufthansa regrets the circumstances surrounding the decision to exclude the affected passengers from the flight, for which Lufthansa sincerely apologizes. While Lufthansa is still reviewing the facts and circumstances of that day, we regret that the large group was denied boarding rather than limiting it to the non-compliant guests. We apologize to all the passengers unable to travel on this flight, not only for the inconvenience, but also for the offense caused and personal impact. Lufthansa and its employees stand behind the goal of connecting people and cultures worldwide. Diversity and equal opportunity are core values for our company and our corporate culture. What transpired is not consistent with Lufthansa's policies or values. We have zero tolerance for racism, anti-Semitism, and discrimination of any type. We will be engaging with the affected passengers to better understand their concerns and openly discuss how we may improve customer service. So that was released via tweet, I believe. Oh, um, even that's better. how I found it. Huh? I said, oh, even better. Yeah. And, uh, well, the Anti-Defamation League dismissed Lufthansa's statement as insufficient and vague, saying, this non-apology fails to admit fault or identify the banned passengers as Jews. It also refers to them as a group, even though many were strangers. They had one commonality, being visibly Jewish. In addition to investigating, ensuring accountability, and taking steps to repair the harm, including compensating the victims to the extent possible, Lufthansa, as a German company, has a special responsibility to educate its staff. Um, Marlene Schoenberger is a member of the German Greens Party uh, tasked with fighting anti-Semitism, said excluding Jews from a flight because they were recognizable as Jewish is a scandal. I expect German companies in particular to be aware of anti-Semitism. The um, American Center for Law and Justice, which is interestingly a conservative Christian-based activist group, plans to sue Lufthansa on behalf of at least 26 people it says were victimized by, quote, the unconscionable anti-Semitic incident, unquote, according to a notice emailed to Lufthansa and sent to CBS Money Watch. So a lot of people were annoyed. I don't think anyone was satisfied by the apology. Um, we can look at our, our qualifications for an apology, what makes a good apology, uh, and see, was there an expression of regret? Yes. Um, Lufthansa apologized and, say, and said that they regret the circumstances surrounding the decision, which is interesting. Um, did they explain what went wrong? No. They said they would look into it. They would talk to the people involved. 
but uh, didn't didn't have apparently any idea of what happened. Uh, there was no acknowledgement of responsibility. The apology was written in passive voice, and it just again said regrets the circumstances. Doesn't say what happened or uh, why. Uh, there was a declaration of repentance, uh, sort of. They, they, they did say that they were sorry and uh, that they regret the circumstances. Um, didn't really um, make any offer of repair, though. They didn't say we're going to refund people their uh, their money for the flight that they missed. We're going to give people credit for future flights. We're going to give people, you know, repay them for their hotels or any additional flights they had to take. You know, nothing like that at all. And there was no request for forgiveness. So I give this um, particularly because it was discrimination against the Jews who have suffered enough. I give this a two. That is so scary because I was going to give it a two. And then I was like, mm, I'm going to be a zero, but they did do some things. Um, and so, yeah, I'll go with a two as well. Um, well, you could be right because they really didn't say very much. They did they did yeah. put out a statement saying they regret the events, and so they admitted that they were wrong, at least. Right. It's a, okay, one. Yeah. A one, one. right? It's, it's a, a very scientific method where this comes out of one. Well, listen, we just had a very <laughs> thorough uh, historical review of historical the lesson. entire Jewish religion and history really of Judaism. I, I was really uh, a little overwhelmed by all that because it's it's a lot to be Jewish and contend with all of that. Um, it's yeah, and so given given that we feel that way, right? Right, and we're not Jewish, and, and we're, we're not Catholic, Jewish, right? right? And 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 blah. Um, atheist. How how could people who are believe? I mean, what must you be feeling right now? If, yeah. If that happened to you, right? And right. Got to be uncomfortable to be, hi, to be in Germany, yeah, and have police around you telling you that you're not allowed to do something you because can't, you can't fly on this flight because you're Jewish. That's horrifying. Yeah, it's it's so the thing about Lufthansa's apology, aside from the fact that they don't say what they're going to do to make things better, yeah, is the language is very corporate. It, yeah. where's the word like horrified? Where, how about ashamed, right? Yeah, um, yeah. It don't let people who are in another, you know, country type up so, so, an apology about an event they're not familiar with. I mean, the whole thing reads yeah. like, if somebody had come up to me and said, we need you to write a very corporate apology for a bunch of rutabagas that were sold accidentally to yeah. the sunflower farm. This is the yeah. apology I would write. I have no That'd idea what went on. I don't know yeah. anything. I'm nine to five. I get paid to do this. Here's my apology. Click, click, click. Yeah. So True. crappy and double crappy. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so we give it a one. We give it a one for making some sort of effort, even though the effort was uh, insufficient. Uh, and uh, we hope for a better apology and a better... Uh, offer of repair in the future from Lufthansa. They have some time to do that, so hopefully they will. Now, uh, as always at the end, do we have an apology expected or a who's sorry now? As always at the end, <laughs> we do have this segment that is called apology expected or who's sorry now. Um, and I do have one. You do? I do. I have I don't one. I know if I do. Right? <laughs> oh, um, you know what? 
but I might have an apology that is interesting, and I'm I'm kind of surprised by it. <laughs> um, yeah, not not so by that I okay. Um, I don't know how I feel about it, so I'll just go ahead and put it out there. Okay. Right. Um, I don't think it's an apology that so representative um madison cawthorn oh yeah who lost his seat i know right and me too obviously couldn't couldn't celebrate that more um apparently is is not in a uh stable uh situation uh it seems like he uh might need some help mental health yes help yes he might okay. he might need some mental health and there are some concerns about his well-being and so while i may disagree with the former congressman uh, yeah. greatly on every single point and i know yeah. the man would be happy to rip every right that i have away from yeah. me totally. um right um i am i'm sorry for him in a way because I don't think that, despite our great political differences, that anybody uh, should suffer that much. Um, What's his deal? So I, I don't know. I listened to a podcast that's. Um, oh my god, I forgot the name of the podcast. <laughs> I listen every fucking day. Um, <laughs> it's Molly, Molly John. I say Molly like I know who she is. Um, Molly. It's my friend Molly, who's my friend Erica's daughter. Um, <laughs> Molly Jongfast, the new abnormal. Um, oh, okay. Yes. And so uh, her co-host mentioned that he had heard that, and it, bearing in mind, this, this is how rumors get started, but mm-hmm. it doesn't take a brain surgeon to think that this uh, loss might actually emotionally devastate somebody who's built an entire uh, persona and new life on yeah. being an asshole and yeah. sure you're sure you're an asshole but I don't want you to hurt yourself right okay so so it's not I'm an fine with it. apology to him as much as it is uh I'm sorry it's a situation that's happening but on the other hand oh this will be bad to say but I mean why, why stop now? When has that ever stopped me, right? But would I feel better if he had won? No. No, but it's not about my feelings. I just want him to go away and just have a nice, happy yeah. life and shut the fuck up, uh, right? I wouldn't mind if he died. Well, maybe maybe he could start a podcast. Yes, yes, he could start a podcast. He could start a podcast. Maybe maybe that'll be the hope for him. That's not the same as dying. No, it's not. Um, <laughs> but he no longer holds any power. Oh, God. He'd no. be the next Rush Limbaugh, probably, which would suck. Oh. So I, I would just assume he'd go away quietly to a, a small bungalow in the middle of nowhere, off the grid, and live the rest of his days there. You really are the smartest person I know. I was immediately <laughs> like, oh, I feel bad for him because I heard this thing and I kind of feel like it could be true. And oh, the poor guy. And um, and then you I know, hope he, he gets... not done a thing to deserve your sympathy. No, he really hasn't. No. Um, so, 
there, I guess I should have tapped on this tweet to see. Oh. Is that a tweet from Molly John Fast? No, uh, he's being accused of insider trading. And oh. so I thought maybe it might have been a, you know, he went to rehab or had oh. a breakdown. And but Well, there's still time. I will live to eat that apology at a future point in time. <laughs> I am, and I unfortunately, because I fell asleep before this podcast, do not have an apology expected or, or a, a who's sorry now. So I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna take the L on this one. You are sorry now because you. I'm don't. sorry now because I don't have a who's sorry now. <laughs> apology sorry. accepted. Thank you. You're welcome. I give that a ten. That's what we're all about. We're all about accepting apologies here. <laughs> yes, and not issuing them ever. And not issuing them. So, okay, I think that's it. That is um, it. Have a great week, everybody. We'll try and do some fun stuff to talk about next week. I'm shaking my head. Yes, goodbye. Okay, awesome. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> listening to Apologies Accepted, the podcast. You can find links to the articles and the sources in the show notes. To submit an apology or find out more, visit us at ApologiesAccepted.net, where you can also find our merchandise. We're on Twitter at Apologies Accepted. And on Instagram at Apologies.Accepted. You can support our important work at Patreon forward slash Apologies Accepted. And fuck Facebook. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>